Welcome to Tracksuits and Pajamas. Or pajamas. We are two best friends from different walks of life. And sleep numbers. Together we'll delve into everything massive and mundane. Join us as we address politics, love, race, parenthood, pancakes, and more. Because when you're comfortable and among kindreds, no topic is off limits. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tracksuits and Pajamas, the closet edition. This is our second recording uh, since COVID uh, that Noelle and I are recording in our respective closets, hence the name Closet Edition. So welcome. Welcome, everybody. And before we get started, we want to acknowledge that it's been a really heavy month since we've talked with you guys. And we want to send our heartfelt condolences out to the families of Brianna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and George Floyd. Absolutely. You know, the last time we talked, like you said, it's it's been a it's been a tough month. Um, tough is an understatement. Um, we were talking about COVID, and then everything else hit. Uh, so there's a lot for us to get into. Uh, we're gonna share with you our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. Um, and just speak as honestly as we can about things. And so hopefully um, this will be beneficial. Uh, I don't know about you, Noel, but it's definitely therapeutic for me. Um, and uh, thank you all for being here to listen. You know, we've talked a lot about what it means to be in the middle. And we knew that when we started this podcast, there would be topics and life and other things that come up that would show us having to process what it takes for us to get back to the middle. I don't think either Trenzio or I expected what's been going on over the past two months, both with the global pandemic and since the death of George Floyd, among many, many others. But the truth is, like Trenzio just said, we are, I don't, I don't know that it's possible to be in the middle on some things. And so we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to talk about what happens and where that line in the sand is about trying to find a middle when justice just needs to prevail. And then as new polarization occurs, how do you find your way back? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, I've, I've had a couple people reach out to me and say, hey, you know, what are y'all going to talk about next? How do you talk about the middle in this climate? And one of the things that uh, Noel and I both have made clear to people is that just because you want to have conversations in the middle and you want to bring people together to have discussion with empathy, that does not mean that you don't take a stance on things. Uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say as it relates to racism, um, as far as we're concerned, there's only one stance on that, and that's that it should not be here and it should not exist and it's ugly and it's evil and all of those things. Uh, so, um, Absolutely. but um, yeah, and that, at the same time, um, we need to have conversations uh, about sort of why we're here and how it's systemic and what does it mean and what it's affecting and what it's causing. Um, and those things, those conversations need to be had uh, in a way that dialogue can flow and people feel comfortable. Uh, you know, I don't speak for all black people, but for the black people that I know, they've had several people reaching out to them, uh, definitely a lot of their friends who are white, asking, how can I help? What can I do? So forth and so on. Um, and that's great. Um, but 
in order to have those conversations, um, we need to make sure that we're in the right headspace uh, so that if somebody is asking something, we can have a dialogue about it when you're ready, because not everybody is ready to have those conversations right now. And that's understandably so. Part of the reason why it took us some time uh, to record this episode is because, quite honestly, I I wasn't ready to talk yet. Uh, and I think to a certain degree, Noel wasn't ready either. Uh, and that's okay. You know, I just, quite honestly, was pissed. Uh, and I'm not still over being pissed. So in a lot of ways, I'm 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 still in that place. I'm not apologizing for it. No one else should apologize for it. But I do know that as we sort of work through all of the emotion, rightfully so, involved in this and all of the pain, um, I want to make sure that I welcome the conversation that needs to be had for those who may need some understanding or may need some guidance, because I think that's important to have. We still just cannot run to corners and not have conversation. This moment is just the opposite. And I believe that's what we're seeing um, with the protests, um, with new initiatives that are coming up. I believe these are people in a lot of cases um, who have been on the opposite ends of things uh, that are actually coming together and having discussion um, and trying to work through things. And that's that's a good thing. So um, it's sad that someone has to be murdered, quite honestly, um, for this to happen. But like we've talked about in this show uh, since the very beginning, uh, a lot of people struggle with empathy until it literally hits them in the face. And I think that image that we've all seen over and over again of the person who kneeled on George, George Floyd's neck, um, that was like the picture, you and I have talked about this, Noel, it was like the picture of evil. And everybody, regardless of what corner um, of the earth you come from, condemned that, and as they should. And then all of a sudden, you know, we start to see all the pieces that went into motion after that. Again, it's unfortunate that that had to happen. Um, but for some people, it takes the dramatic is not the right word, but it, it just takes something just just completely absurd for them to get to that place. But since we are here and we are at this place, I do think you press on the gas and have those conversations um, because it's raw. And so let's go at it. Yeah, Trinzi, I totally agree with you. And. The thing about that image is there was no ambiguity that evil was there and that that should not have happened. And I think that part of why we're seeing so much action and so much traction that's necessary in the wake of George Floyd's death, because that was the face of the antithesis of empathy. And it's bringing out, to your point about being pissed, it's bringing out all the appropriate emotions and I think this is the time to to act on that. And it's the time to sort and to sift and to figure out, all right, where do we stand now? What do we do next? What kind of life do I want to live? What kind of example do I want to be? 
And sometimes change is way too slow and sometimes change just gets traction and I think a lot of things are getting enacted very quickly that should have enacted been enacted a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But to your point about these conversations, this is the time to have them and there are emotions running high. But I also see for the first time, I, I feel like in a very long time, I am seeing subtle shifts in hearts and minds that didn't, for example, I didn't take note of in election cycles or in other um, polarizing events. Because I think, and I know that there are people who realize that there, there is no, there's just no ambiguity with murder and evil. This was definitely the lack of ambiguity in what happened there. Um, you know, and like, like we've heard and like we've talked about on the news, this was caught on video. You know, these types of things have happened for years uh, and they weren't caught on video. Um, Part of the outrage is that people saw it. Uh, And because they saw it, uh, there was no room for ambiguity or doubt or, well, what about this? I think that's been really, really arresting for people um, and convicting and just sort of like, no, you can't really run from this. Now, you have those who have tried and who have attempted to, and you will have that uh, because that element will just always be there. Um, but I will say in in my lifetime, um, I think this is the most fired up about racism that I probably have ever seen. Um, I'm trying to run through that i mean i i remember when um what happened to rodney king and when the officers uh were acquitted you know that was probably the height but i mean this time whether it's in la austin or new york germany um you know brazil uh Asia, I mean, it it doesn't matter what continent, what country um, you're seeing people speak on this and protest about this. And so I it's it's this wave. And you and I have talked about this no matter what continent, no matter what country uh, we've seen people protesting. We've seen people standing up to racism, standing up to racist. uh, And it's a beautiful thing. But I want to also point out uh, this generation, because I I think this generation makes a big difference. Um, Millennials, and I'll just, I'll just, that term is used a lot, but I'm going to use it because I think uh, most people will instantly relate to what I'm talking about. Um, The last boom generation we had in terms of population were baby boomers. Um, Our generation, well, generation X was not a boom generation in terms of, of volume. And so, the next group to do that has been the millennials. And, you know, people made jokes about this generation, about lazy, you know, they, you know, they don't want to work hard. You know, they want to be the boss after being there for like two weeks. There's all kinds of things. Right. But I don't think this ignites the way that it does um, without this particular generation. Um, and the reason why I say that is because they're not concerned or caught up on 
the things that previous generations are, right? They don't care if they have a Mercedes, right? They're not worried about having a three-bedroom home uh, with this amazing kitchen, right? Sure, they, they want things and have desires, but they're not caught up in all of that. And when it comes to what companies they buy things from, when it comes to, like, the things that they do, they want to make sure that they are dealing with people and things and entities and business that are like-minded. They want to know what you stand for, what you're about. And when you fall short of being human, this generation will light you up. (laughs) And they have the platform to do so, right? And they were raised with it and they use it, right? So um, this generation is like, no, 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 no. This, This ain't cool. I don't know. You know, a lot a lot of them are saying, look, I, I don't know what this is about, but this whole racism thing, you know, we've heard y'all talk about it for years. We've seen microaggressions of it. Right. We, we've seen these things. But, oh, hell no, this is not going to happen. And I think they are. They are on fire about this. And so, you know, I, I just think it's interesting that where a lot of the push, in my opinion, is coming from is sort of that particular group. And I think it's great. Uh, and I don't, they're not going to stop, right? They're, they're not going to, they're going to do like, um, like, like our generation necessarily. Um, and yes, you've had people in our generation who have been in this fight for years and doing this uh, and doing amazing work. But I just think that there's something special about this particular group and the skills and tools that they're equipped with that previous generations just didn't have. I, I agree. And I think it's this also that when you say those tools, it's this convergence of technology that enables us to, to be faced with these horrific things that, to your point, have been happening for centuries. Nothing of this is new. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be shocking because it's surprising and new and, oh, my gosh, can you believe racism is alive and well? It is shocking to some people. It shouldn't be. But the technology has created a world that is smaller in so many ways and that we get this instant feedback. And I do think the millennials know how to use this really well. And one of the credit that I want to give that generation to for being able to do this, it empowers people like Mm me. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of my, you know, my life experience is formed by being white, by being a female, by being an exer, by all the conglomeration of all my life experiences. But being able to see a groundswell happen so quickly, it forces a fire and change in me too. Yeah, something will be tweeted out or posted or They'll pick it up on Reddit, and before you know it, like, like there's a protest organized in, like, an hour, right? Like, it doesn't—they don't need days and weeks and that sort of thing to, to make it happen. So I, th- I think it's, it's pretty special. Um, it just pains me personally that this had to happen, that he had to lose his life in order for this to happen. So, Trenzio, you talked a minute ago about being angry. We, You and I, of course, have talked about this, but for this episode— do you mind telling us a little bit more about how you've been feeling over the past few weeks? Uh, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll try to give you more, more context into what I mean by being pissed. Cause that's really a, 
there, there's a lot in that. Um, you know, we talked about George Floyd, uh, but obviously um, you also mentioned in the beginning about Ahmad and about Brianna and so many other lives that have been lost senselessly. Um, and part of how how I'm feeling is does it really take all of this to get the proper attention for something that we all know exists or should know exists? Um, does it take this much? Um, part of how I'm feeling is it makes me skeptical um, about folks that all of a sudden want to um, want to be a part of this, right? All of a sudden, um, we're going to move a little bit faster at prosecuting somebody or firing somebody. Um, all of a sudden, um, we need to have this emergency session meeting and um, this particular thing needs to happen. You know, all of a sudden, we want to do this with funding and just the just the the all of a sudden things just is kind of what what bothers me the most um you know and then you know to make it real personal you know my wife um my beautiful wife um she and I had to have a conversation with our beautiful son right he's 8 years old and so literally, we sat down with an eight-year-old and talked to him about race. Now, we've talked to him about race before, uh, because I think we might have touched on this in previous episodes. When you when you grow up and you're raising uh, a black child, a child of color, you're going to have those conversations on their level, right? Uh, no, I'm not talking to him yet about um, when you get pulled over by the police is what you do, right? Cause he, he's eight years old. So we're not, we're not having that, but we're definitely having it on his level. Um, and what it looks like if a group of friends he has are playing ball and he's excluded and what that may or may not mean and what that looks like. Yeah. We're, we'll get into it on his level as, as all parents should. Um, but we purposefully set him down uh, because he was seeing the protest on the TV. He was hearing us talk about it. And, and so we wanted to make sure that he understood. And then we had to talk to him about race, racial, racism, and racist. Because those are all related, but they all have their own meaning and definition. Um a couple of years ago, um, Dr. Glenn Singleton, um, who heads up Courageous Conversations uh, Beyond Diversity, uh, went to one of his trainings, and he's—I just think he's—he's he's brilliant, and he is an expert at this, and he challenges everybody uh, in the room, uh, white, black, brown—it doesn't matter. Uh, everyone gets challenged in there, and I think it's great. Um, but we talked to him about that so that he could understand uh, what race meant, um, 
what makes something racial, um, what it means um, to be a racist, and then what is racism, right? And we talked about things like uh, systemic racism, um, and we talked about how different things are applied to different races, um, you know, and, and if that's brought up in a certain context, then that can make it racial. Um, and so, um, you know, that's not something I want to talk to my eight-year-old about. Right? But that's what we have to do. So that had me pissed. Again, you know you got to talk to him about it. Um, I, I, I think, if I'm being honest, I, I think the thing that that probably bothered me the most is um it was kind of like damn i got i gotta get him prepared for this and possibly even earlier than i thought i had to right i always knew i had to get get him ready for um and we've been working on that but to have to break down those four things to an eight-year-old and we're not done we'll continue to work on it um this early it pissed me off Mm mm-hmm because I know for sure other people who are not of color are not having to do that. They should, but a lot of them are not. So, yeah, so that's, that's well, sort I, of behind that. Go ahead. I'll be honest here. You know, I, my kids are about the same age as your beautiful son. And we had conversations. They're not the same conversations. But part of that privilege is the deciding whether or not to have the conversation. I don't know if I can honestly say that I would have had the same conversation or thought to have the same conversation without the friendship that our families have fostered. Because it's not that it wouldn't be personal otherwise, but it's real personal. And that's privilege. That's it's scary as a parent to open your children's eyes in a way that you're just not ready for them to have to see. And I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. Yeah. But there's yeah. a there's an ability and as as a parent sometimes I want to stick my head in the sand. I want to protect them from things as long as I can, but I realize like that is part of my work to raise anti-racists. They also need to hear that conversation. And I need to be able to sit in their sorrow about it and their discomfort and to be the lighthouse for them in that moment and not to wallow in it for myself. Because the easiest thing would have been to do is to turn off the news and let these little ones go about their day worrying about the virus. Mm -hmm. But I made a conscious choice, again, appropriately, <laughs> If, 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 if there, honestly, if there is any such thing as appropriately having to talk to an eight-year-old about stuff like this, honestly, right? Yeah, you try to make it age-appropriate, but it's still sad and appalling that it's a conversation that has to be had at all. But my hope in doing so is that that sets a different stage than the one even where I was raised and where you were raised. And that that creates a platform for them to be aware of it from an early, early age and hopefully prepared 
to fight against it from the from the get go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the timetable is moved up for everyone, right? So if you if you had this stuff on the shelf to talk about, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna do it, you know, I'm gonna give it another year. Nah, man. No, you 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 need to have it today, right? Um, because you know the things that you know when, when you talk to these kids, um, they are talking about race and dealing with race right now. I mean, right now, in second, in third grade, in first grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's happening. Uh, and so that process is happening sooner and sooner. Um, and I think when you add technology to it, um, you know, it um, it accelerates it, right? And, you know, and you're right. You know, I, I think it's great that, you know, you're talking to your kids about it. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, you're probably the exception. And, you know, what needs to happen is that it should be the norm. Right? Like, people should not have to die in order for it to be like, all right, let's pull up a chair and let's chop this up. Right? Again, I'm not saying you got to give a whole African-American um, African-American cultural studies course, you know, to your eight-year-old um, right there in the middle of dinner. But these things should be talked about in every household. Um, I'm happy that they are happening right now, but it's still not probably happening at the level that it should. Um, yeah, I agree. And I, I think the level in which it should be happening, the things that I find it easiest to talk to my kids about tend to be the things that I have processed and worked through Mm -hmm. and have language for above and beyond the language of a child. And it's still, it is still hard. There's also a convergence of parents, white parents needing to talk about racism when they are now students at the same time. And so it's stepping out, like we talked about in the last episode, it's stepping out of our own discomfort and realizing that our discomfort is not more important than other people's fear and other people's survival and other people's liberty, but stepping out of that discomfort and then taking it on to learn it yourself so that then you can teach your children in a purposeful way. Because I think there's far too many white people that are comfortable with talking about it when it comes to MLK, you know, talking about it. When it comes to not quite the, oh, I don't see color, but we're all precious in his sight and everyone's exactly the same and you shouldn't discriminate. Like those are the conversations that are easy to have with our children. They're also easy to think about for ourselves. And they're also the bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the um, the the Black History Month programs that like every school will put on when we were kids. And you you would talk about Dr. King, and you might talk about um, Harriet Tubman, right? You can just sort of run down the the usual list 
of folks you've run down and that, you know, that was never good enough, but I think people are realizing that um, it's definitely not going to fly anymore. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's just, and you know, what's, what's crazy is that the usual escapes for people, right? So like, oh, well, what about sports? Or, or the theater, about, yeah. about music? Or the theater. Nope, it's there too. Sorry. Not sorry. We're going to have to talk about it there. Um, you know, Drew Brees. I'll be the first to admit, Drew, Drew Brees is from Austin. I've always been a big fan of Drew. Um, if you follow his career, um, coming into the league, in San Diego, um, got hurt, had to have a major surgery, teams were kind of iffy on him, wind up choosing to go to New Orleans, um, I'm skipping over a bunch of stuff, Katrina happens, right, and at a time where that city needed someone to fight for them, uh, he fought hard for him. He doubled down on New Orleans, right? Um, not just with his mouth, but with his money, right? And we all know the predominant population in New Orleans, right? So people people love the guy, right? Even recently did a lot uh, for COVID to support families and making sure folks could eat. I mean, he's a good dude, right? And all of that is 100% true. The same thing is true. Um, what we learned, you know, a couple of weeks ago is he was still confused uh, about the movement that Colin Kaepernick um, kicked off when he took a knee. Andrew stepped in it and he came out and admitted that and folks are having a hard time with it and I'll be the first to say I had a hard time with it because I was like didn't you tell me that your jersey arrived the same day oh yeah this is crazy so uh there was this fundraiser that they had on one of the uh sports apps and they had these shirts with Drew Brees' name on it and Michael Thomas's name on it. Michael Thomas is is uh, oh we're going his, there. His, yeah, his is his number one target, all pro receiver, just awesome, right? And so they had these shirts, and I I rarely buy. I'm a sports fan. For those, I mean, most of y'all probably know that, uh, but I rarely buy sports stuff with athletes' name on them. I just I just rarely do. Right? There's a few guys I'll do that for. You know, Steph Curry and um, you know a few other cats, Russell Wilson. Um, so I was going to, I bought this shirt, had Breeze to Thomas on it, right? <laughs> the, the day, the, the day the shirt shows up is the day Drew does his interview, uh, where he steps in it basically. Wait, the shirt says <laughs> Breeze to Thomas? Yeah, it says, it says Breeze and it has Thomas underneath. It's something about the, their connection, right? Uh, I'm literally, I, the package was delivered. 
I opened it up. I showed my wife, and I said, "Yeah, look at my shirt." Uh, <laughs> and then, like, she's like, "Yeah, look at the news." <laughs> yeah, and, and like, like an hour later, I'm like, "Oh hell, what, what, <laughs> what, what?" I was like, "Is this real?" I'm I'm scrolling through, and I think I sent you a text, and I was like, I'm "Like Drew, what?" And I was like, "No." Are, are we are are we still there? I mean, are we? I'm like, I'm like, are, are, are we still talking about this this way? And it was, it it bothered me more than I thought it would, right? Because because of everything that I just told you about Drew Brees, um, you know. Drew was considered an ally, considered a a warrior, right? Because, again, because of his actions, like it putting his hands, putting his mouth, putting his money, um, uh, into uh, black communities, right? So it was, it was appalling to folks, and people were people were just pissed to the nth degree about this, and. Rightfully so. He took a whole lot of heat and he's still getting it. And then the very next day, like usually happens with this stuff, um, you know, you all know the story. He puts out a press release uh, apologizing and saying he was, you know, basically wrong on this and he had to be educated on it and still needs to be educated on it. Um, And then he sends something to the president telling the president, hey, you know, I was wrong on this. Maybe you need to think about this. Uh, and then his wife sends out something, right? He just comes out <laughs> just throwing darts now in, in the opposite direction, uh, which his is cat, great. His cat posted on Instagram. No, yeah, I mean, like, like he was going to have a whole, whole crew. Um, and, you know, and his teammates came out and posted some things that were just really raw and really genuine because – what they felt and what you heard his teammates felt, I, I felt as well. Like, like you, you're like, wait a minute, uh, because in in sports, um, you in in a locker room, right? You get guys from all all different walks of life, backgrounds, perspectives, and you're supposed to come together for a common goal and go out there and get it done. Right. And those are your guys. Right. But, and for those who don't know, you played college ball, captain of the football team. Mm-hmm. Like this is, yeah, this is are, entertainment for you. And it's also where you put your sweat. Yeah. Equity. And I had, you know, I, th- there were guys that I played with that we, we didn't necessarily always agree on things, you know, but those were my guys. Right. And they listened. Right. And we worked together and we got things done. And I think part of what hurt his teammates so much was you talk about us being a brotherhood as a team. But hold up. When we go leave the facility and you go to your house and I go to my house. You know, I'm thinking that that continues. Right. That you're still my guy and you, you know, you would support me in these things and so forth. And you you empathize with me, right? And I say empathy because 
Drew had some action there in the things that he had done. Um, and so to hear that statement, that cut deep for a whole lot of folks. Um, and we talk about the middle. All these things can be true. Right. Drew's track record of the things that he's done in that community um, can be true. What can also be true is that he was he was wrong. Um, And he admitted he was wrong. And because of his statement, there's a lot of people that are going to kind of look at him sideways a little bit. It's on him to earn back uh, that respect. It's not on others. It is on him. Uh, And it's nice to see him and his family, uh, he and his wife, taking steps uh, to make that right. I agree. And I think when we talk about the middle, one of the things that's interesting in the way in which he stepped in it is it goes back to 2016 when Cap first started taking the knee, right? I think that was the year. Mm -hmm. And that became one of the most polarizing things that we have seen um, in, I think in modern times with technology and when it came to a peaceful protest and what does peaceful protest look like? And what struck me when I heard Drew Brees' initial statement was that it was, it was, it was a lightning rod talking point that he deferred to. Like, it was almost like this, you know, you and I could both come from marketing backgrounds. This idea that it was ever about the flag still had roots and still permeated. And then you have someone like Drew, who you would think throughout being as close to it as he has been, would realize that that's not what it was about. But I think there's still a great amount of population out there that really was sold this idea that it was disrespect of our country and of the flag itself, when that is not what it was. And so I want to say that out loud and again, because... To me, that's an example of a polarization that happens that we kind of all get fed and then we're supposed to pick, like, am I pro-USA or am I not USA? Those are my two choices. Those were never the two choices there. That was not what this was about. This was never Mm -hmm. what it was about. But there was fear that was generated and worry. And there became, whether it was, I mean, I believe it was purposeful as a marketer. I don't think a lot of these things happen by accident. That was the antithesis to a black man taking a peaceful knee in protest was to have to make it. You either choose that or you choose your country, which is a false narrative. Yeah, it's another false dichotomy that 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 just, you know. And I didn't realize that your shirt um, also had Michael Thomas on it, because then that goes to what happened next in the NFL Mm -hmm. was talk about we're talking about 2016 we're talking about cap we're talking about all of this and then there's some social media manager in the midst of the nfl who along with a lot of others basically what were they calling him um like created a mutiny within the nfl he was like a renegade yeah and put the heat on him and michael thomas was the first person that brendan mentor called yeah I, again, somebody, I mean, we talked earlier about this generation, right? 
And yes. when stuff just is not this young social media manager. You're right. He's probably not an Xer. He is probably, no, no. No, he's, no, no we're definitely older than dude. Uh, and here he, he's like, you know what, this ain't cool. I'm not feeling this. And there were already rumblings that people who worked inside the NFL office was like, hey, y'all need to come out with something. Uh, you know, it's time for you to evolve on this. And, um, yeah, like you said, he reached out to Michael Thomas, um, you know, could have lost his job. But he's like, whatever, I'm going to reach out to Mike Thomas. Mike Thomas reached out to other guys in the league, uh, other prominent players. Um, Mahoney's. Yeah, because here's the here's the thing. Um, and this is just a whole league thing. Um, when you look at the NBA and the NFL, obviously both of those leagues are um, overwhelmingly uh, black in terms of the players. Um, but the power struggle uh, is there's much more of a power struggle for the players in the NFL than it is at the NBA. Um, you know, there's much more, and this has been widely reported, um, there's, there's much more continuity between the owners and the players, right? It's much more of a partnership. Uh, the NFL has struggled with that. Uh, so it was beautiful to see some of the top players in the league come together um, and put out a statement uh, about taking a knee, about Black Lives Matter. And then Roger Goodell from his basement bunker uh, putting out a video um, basically acknowledging that the NFL was was wrong. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are still calling, uh, rightfully so, uh, for an apology to Colin Kaepernick uh, because that should happen because – you know, like a lot of leaders, he was way ahead of the game on this. Uh, and he was vilified and blackballed for it. Like, like it's, that's not even up for debate, right? Um, so I, I love that those guys came together. I love how the story came about. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done there. Um, again, I love it that these things are happening I just, uh, I'm, you know, I'm saddened at the cost um, for those things that happen because enough, enough had been, um, enough had been lost already in terms of life. Right. Like enough already. Well, and we've you know, talked about this before. It's it, it's that, it's the sad why of why does it have to be so awful for us to collectively make a change. Mm -hmm. Why do we not believe people of color about their experiences? You know, why does it take seeing something that's so clear, horrific and witnessing a murder to yeah. shake, to shake and start to ask questions that should have been known all along. I appreciate everything that everyone is doing. I really do. But like I said, I'm like, like many people, just me 
for me personally, I'm still sort of working through whatever process it is that I need to continue to work through. Um, because you and I have been talking about empathy for a while. It's the whole point of why we built this podcast. And I think that the thing that pained us the most is some people just have a hard time at showing empathy unless they actually have to go through something or you need this star bursting Armageddon thing to happen mm-hmm. um, in order for you to put yourself in someone else's shoes to try to generate an action that solves a problem. It shouldn't take all of this, but we're here. And since we're here, then yeah, I say you press on the gas, pour gasoline on it and let's make it roll. Let's make change happen. You know, we talked about protests. There were riots. We don't want anyone to get hurt at protests, right? We don't want our own communities damaged. All of that is 100% true. But I'm sorry. If if you were more upset about that than you were about everything that led up to that, that's a problem, right? So, So all of that can be true. Right. So and that and that's another one of those things from a middle standpoint um, that I think a lot of people were struggling with. Yeah, I don't I don't want to see our own communities destroyed. I don't want to see people talking about riots more than they're talking about the overwhelmingly majority uh, of um, peaceful protesting and demonstrating that that was taking place. But again, if you were more upset about the few, tiny, small number of folks who were doing those things, if you're more upset about that than you are about the things that led up to everything happening, then I think there's some soul searching there that should be done. And we can talk about it all. I just think you have to be honest um, with yourself of why does one thing upset you more than the other? Absolutely. Yeah. And and how you how you got to that conclusion you know one of the things i've been trying to practice of late not just the past couple of weeks but when something comes out and it's the topic du jour whatever it is right and it's the scandal that i'm not putting what's happening over the past couple of weeks in that bucket but let's say it's the so and so's is over party tre- trending on twitter there's We all need to take responsibility and realize what we're putting into our minds and where our sources of information are coming from. Because your your example about the protests versus riots, a lot of that is being fed to us and the narrative is being fed to us. I'm not trying to start conspiracy theories or anything to that extent, but there there does need to be an awareness if we're going to find places where the middle can exist, an awareness of how and how we're taking in information. Mm-hmm. So if the information that you are taking in is that there is equal death, destruction, and looting as there is peaceful protests, all right, do a little bit more research. Let's go take a look and find examples of the other. Same thing if, if your point of view is that nothing bad has happened in any of these protests. It's our duty to be informed with as much information as we can have. And then you're right. Yes, if you're more upset about a destruction of property than you are hundreds of years of systemic racism, let's check your soul. 
but I think it's also possible to be on the side of this movement and to mourn for people that are getting hurt, mourn for people who've lost their businesses, mourn for there is a reality on both sides that the empathy and the middle it necessitates that we take it all in. Mm -hmm. And that we process all of it and we hold all of it as true. Yeah. Because yeah, it makes it Either or is where they want us to, I mean, they, here, <laughs> but either or is, is where we're set up to fail. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think you have to, you know, people ask, well, you know, what does the middle look like in this? That's what it looks like. I think that's where we could probably leave it for today. We've talked about a lot. We've addressed a lot. Our goal is to have a part two of this episode because as with all of us, it's too much to take in and one sitting. I think it requires processing. It requires taking in new information. And for us, I think we want to come back and talk about this more. I second that. And we'd love to hear from you guys and join the conversation with us. You can follow us on Twitter at at TracksuitsPJs. That's at TracksuitsPJs. We're also on Instagram as well as Facebook for all of our fellow Xers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're, <laughs> we're getting better at using that stuff. But we'd love to hear from y'all. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back soon. All right. Talk to y'all soon. Thanks. Thanks.